sermon is titled, A New Hope. Sorry, The Force Awakens. Wait. A new challenge this morning. Would you open your Bibles with me to Exodus chapter 17? A new challenge arises. While you're opening to Exodus chapter 17, let me just uh, take a moment. Um, I hope by now uh, you know uh, that my heart is not in, uh, I'm not in the business of, of making ploys to try to uh, drum up attendance or anything like that. Um, but I do, I do want to take a, a quick second as you're opening to Exodus 17 to tell you that next Sunday morning, I believe, is going to be a very special. It's always special when we come together. Um, it's always special when God's people assemble for the purpose of praising Him. Um, but I believe next Sunday morning is going to be a very special Sunday morning as we come together and worship. Um, I'm, I know it's, it's going to be the first Sunday of the year, um, of 2016. We don't know what the next year holds, but we do know, as they say, who holds the next year. Um, but I'm going to share a message, and, I, and I'm calling it the end of the thing. And I know it's incredibly vague. It'll make sense next Sunday morning. Um, but I, I would, if at all possible, if there is any way for you to be here next Sunday morning, I, I have shared this message once um, recently. I'm never here, but I want to share that message with you next Sunday morning, the end of a thing. And hopefully it will, it will do much to um, alter our perspective of our role in the coming year, okay? So that's called the end of a thing. It's going to be next Sunday morning where we're going to hit the pause button on are we there yet, okay? Some of you are thinking this is a long series, are we there yet? Um, but we are going to pause next Sunday for that one standalone message. But this morning our attention is in Exodus 17. We have followed the Israelites out of Egypt. Uh, they were delivered by God's mighty hand, as demonstrated through Moses and the rod, and they have been tested, and they have, they have uh, learned much in these challenges and tests that arose. I told you that the journey that God had them on uh, was not so much a journey to get them from point A to point B. It wasn't so much about the location, but the people. God wanted to use this journey as an opportunity to grow them in their, in their spiritual education. He wanted them to learn to trust Him and to build on that trust. And I know uh, the same thing is true for us. God wants us to grow in our relationship. God does not desire us as believers, those of us who have claimed Christ as our Lord, God does not want us to ever stay stagnant. He doesn't want us um, to lose spiritual ground. He always wants us to be moving forward. He always wants us to be taking new spiritual property. He wants us to be gaining and moving into new spiritual territories. And the whole purpose for this series has been not just for us to have a history lesson, a biblical history lesson, uh, but to, to more than that, to be able to see ourselves in the pages of, of the book of Exodus as we also find ourselves on a spiritual journey. My hope has also been that for those who have yet to begin their faith relationship with Christ, that they would also do that during this series. The Bible tells us in chapter 17, verse 8, it says, Now Amalek came and fought with Israel in Rephidim. And Moses said to Joshua, Choose us some men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. 
So Joshua did as Moses said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses and Aaron and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And so it was when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands became heavy. So they took a stone and put it under him and he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. So Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this for a memorial in the book and recount it in the hearing of Joshua, that I will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called its name, The Lord is my banner. For he said, because the Lord has sworn, the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. Stop there. As as we've seen that they've been tested and challenges have arisen on that road, we're reminded once again that our journey with Christ is never easy, but can always be victorious. And they have been challenged really with the basic necessities of life. Once they got out uh, out of Egypt and, and God defeated the Egyptians by causing the Red Sea to crush in on them, um, then we saw that they were, they were immediately challenged with water. They were thirsty. They went three days journey and then they finally found water and it was bitter. And God told Moses to cut down this tree and throw it in and the water was made sweet. And then they had to move from that area and they were once again challenged with thirst a little later. Moses Uh, by command of God, takes his rod, strikes a rock, and water comes out of the rock. During this time, they were challenged with food. God provided miraculously with manna uh, that fell for them every day except on the Sabbath. So God's people had already been tested in an amazing way with the basic necessities of life, with food and water. He had already provided warmth and shelter from the sun in the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. So God had really taken care of everything, but then this new challenge arises. It was something that they hadn't seen really up to this point. It was definitely a new challenge to them, but definitely not new to God. I want you to see this first thing. I want us to focus on the challenge for just a moment. You know, God, if you think about it, if it would have just been uh, in their journey that they are being challenged with food and water, we would think that they would eventually uh, learn the lesson that God is able to provide. But this, the Israelites, much like us, are sometimes hard uh, to be able to get the lessons across. We, we may learn them, but then we don't always hang on to those lessons where we may look back at God's faithfulness and there may be times where we forget that God was faithful, was miraculously faithful to provide in our life. And we, like them, may often uh, begin to murmur or gripe or complain or fear because we feel like maybe God has forgotten us. So God has now switched to a new textbook. He has been teaching them about how he's going to provide shelter, how he's going to provide food, how he's going to provide water. And then Amalek comes in. These are the descendants of Esau. If you mark in your Bible Genesis chapter 25, you'll remember that Esau was Jacob's brother. Esau sold his birthright for some food. So no doubt, as genealogy was so important to uh, the people of that day, no doubt they would have remembered and known that these were the descendants of Jacob that have come up now out of Egypt. And there they were, this semi-nomadic people passing through. They see this band of Israelites, the descendants of Jacob, coming out of Egypt. 
They don't lift high a banner and, and approach them head on. They don't stand as often it was, one side on a barrier, one side on the other, and then prepare for the battle. No, that's not how the descendants of Esau wanted to fight. They saw that the Israelites were tired. They saw that they were weary. They've already been along on this journey for some time now. And Amalek decides he is going to, they are going to attack them from the rear. They're going to come around on the back where Deuteronomy chapter 25 tells us that's where the stragglers were. That's where the weakest and the most tired of them were. So rather than actually having guts and glory and stand in front of them and attack them head on, they sneak around to their rear flank and attack the weakest and the most tired and the stragglers among them. Some of us may have been in that journey, may have been in that part of the journey, the stragglers, the weak, the tired. When they come around and attack them, it says in verse 8 that they came and fought with Israel. And Moses said to Joshua, choose us some men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. It appears in verse number 9 when Moses says, tomorrow we will, I will go and stand out on the mountain with the rod of God in my hand. When he says tomorrow, it leads us to believe that Amalek didn't just attack them from the rear to get the weakest and the most tired among them, but it appears as though he would have attacked late in the day at a moment when nobody would have been expecting it. And Moses, when he hears this word, that Amalek has now snuck in at the rear flanks and attacked his people, Moses says, tomorrow I will do something. It leads us to believe that it was so late in the day that Moses was preparing his plan for the next day, that he, in a sense, had to cut his losses. You see, oftentimes in our spiritual journey, God will allow new challenges to come. God will, will open the door and allow these new challenges, new speed bumps, new issues, new, new tests to be able to come into our life because He doesn't just want us to learn that He's going to provide for us both shelter and food and water. God wants us to be able to realize that He is also our security. He wants us, ultimately, guys, here it is. The lessons that God wants to teach His people are simple. Totally, I mean, the, the, the ultimate goal for us, when we are walking across that stage at grad, spiritual graduation, hopefully the one lesson that we have been able to learn is that we can trust God. That's the lesson. That is the ultimate lesson that God wants His people to learn is that we can trust Him. And He teaches them that, that they can trust Him in provision. They can trust Him with food and water. They can trust Him for direction that He is leading them and they know where, they go, where they're going. And they can trust Him to protect them and to fight for them in their battles. The lesson is always, to, as a believer, to learn to trust God. But we apply that in every different area of our life. It's the one lesson. I, I want to trust God as a pastor. I want to know that God is going to provide, that God is giving direction, that God is, 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 is fighting and, and, and is uh, working on our behalf to bring about this victory. But I, want to, I need to believe that as a dad, too. I need to be able to trust God as a father. If you don't believe me, wait till your child starts driving. You are definitely, your prayer life, typically as a parent, it seems like it really peaks when your child is born. You are praying for that child. 
And then it seems as the child grows, you kind of get it under control, right? And then the teenage years come. Then you start praying a little more often, right? A little more diligently. And then driving comes, which is the all-time peak, which is only matched by dating. That, those are the peaks. But as a dad, I'm called to trust God. As a husband, I'm called to trust God. As an employee, I'm called to trust God and to live out my faith in every arena of life. And so were the Israelites. They were enrolled in this school. They were enrolled in another semester. And God switched the curriculum on them and brought in, allowed Amalek to come in, and they were snuck up on by the descendants of Esau. The stragglers, the tired, the weary, and it also says that Amalek did not fear God in Exodus chapter tw- or in Deuteronomy chapter 25. That's the description we have of them. That they attacked the weary, the tired, the stragglers, and they did not fear God. We move now from the challenge to the battle. It's a very different battle. I'll tell you that this is actually the second battle that the Israelites were engaged in. And I want you to consider for just a moment the differences between this battle and their first battle. Their first battle came as soon as they had left the city limits of Egypt, we'll say. And they found themselves in the wilderness, parked there with the Egyptian army barreling down on them with the chariots coming down on them and the Red Sea on the other side. That was the situation. That was their first engagement in battle and in war. And I want to tell you the game plan. Because the battle plan for the first battle was much different than the second battle in that the first battle was this. Moses said, stand still. The Lord will fight for you. You hold your peace. Now guys, I don't know about you, but that's a pretty sweet battle plan, isn't it? I mean, if you are terrified, if you are afraid, your enemy is coming and he is, you know that he is either going to wipe you out or he is going to put you back in the stocks for a brutal servanthood. And you have just now stood at the doorway of hope only to think that that hope is now being taken back and you're going to be carted back captive even worse than it was before when you left. So you are standing and facing forever servanthood or even death on one side and then you've got this impenetrable Red Sea standing on the other and you want to know what to do. And Moses tells them, don't be afraid. God will fight for you. Those are the battles we love, isn't it? Those battles where we just be still and know that he is God. You see, God knew that his people were spiritual infants. He knew they were afraid. He knew what they could bear and what they could not. For God took them the wilderness way because he knew that if he took them the easier way, the quicker way, they would run into the Philistines and the Philistines would scare them in their attack and the Israelites would run back to Egypt. So God, knowing the hearts of his people, he tells Moses, Moses, you tell them to stand still, to be quiet, because I've got this one. And got this one, he did. God did something that the Israelites never could have done on their own. God provided for them a victory that for generations even today stands as a testament to the power of God The fact that he will always accomplish his word no matter what. But this battle is different. 
God did not fight for them. He fought with them. You see, oftentimes in our spiritual journeys, we're not always afforded every opportunity for God to fight them for us. Oh, don't get me wrong. There are battles that are fought for us. I promise you, there are more battles that are fought for you than you and I will ever know this side of glory. How many of you lock your cars when you go into a store when you're not in it? When you're leaving, how many of you lock your cars? If you're a thief, look around at who's not raising their hand, right? You lock your door, you go into the mall, you come back out, you have no idea that there was more than likely a possibility that somebody could have walked by, checked your door handle to see if it was locked. All you know is that you walked out and you locked your door and when you come back out, you unlock your door, you get in it like nothing happens. But you don't know that there's a really good possibility that somebody could have walked by, flipped your handle, and if it was unlocked, it would have gotten in and robbed you. And you walk away from that situation never knowing that your locked doors actually did what they were supposed to do. You may, if you lock your house doors or set your alarm, you may never know how many people have not entered and robbed you because of the locks on your doors. And I think the same thing is true with God, is that when we praise Him, when we give Him glory and honor for the things done in our life, it is only a fraction or a percentage of the things that we know because we can't know everything. We don't know the battles that God has taken care of for us without our awareness even of the situation. We don't know the scenarios that God held back from glory. We don't know uh, the, the, the turn of events that he has made happen in our life. If we can know he did, there will come a time, I believe, when we behold him face to face. There will be no, no distance between us, no, no, no tent of sin, nothing. We will be able to behold him. And I believe at that moment we will have a more full grasp of all that Christ did for us while we were here, even while we did not know. But here, this was a battle that they were to be engaged in. Different than the Red Sea. The Lord will fight for you at the Red Sea. Here, God fought with them. Notice verse 9, a really important, really important verse in the history of God's word, especially in the history of the Exodus. Because we see a man's name mentioned that hasn't been mentioned before, but will be mentioned much coming up in Bible history. It says, Moses said to Joshua, Choose us some men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. Entrance of Joshua. The man that will take over Moses' position. The man who will be tasked with the job of finishing what God started with Moses. Joshua's job will be able to lead his God's people into Egypt. You know, there's much said about Joshua in the Old Testament. An entire book attributed to him. Joshua is one of my favorite characters of the Old Testament. For all that is said of him, it is very difficult, if not impossible, to find an area where he did not honor and bless God. Incredible man, but here he comes. The, the, the descendants of Esau have now attacked them from the rear. And who does Moses go to? He goes to this man that we've never heard of, Joshua, and he appoints him. And notice what God tell, or what Moses tells Joshua. Choose us some men to go out and fight with Amalek. Obviously, just from that description, Joshua was a trusted man. Moses believed that Joshua knew the people. That Joshua was able to assess their strengths and weaknesses. 
Moses believed that this man, if this man came up and said, here are 1,000 men that are willing to fight, Moses could have confidence in Joshua's decision in that he picked the right men. So Joshua was seen to be a trustworthy, a wise man in his dealings. He's also obedient. Let me remind you of what a feat this is. God, God, Moses tells Joshua, I want you to go down there and fight with those men. Choose your army, but get down there and fight with those men. Do you know what Joshua's occupation was before this scenario where Amalek fought? He was a slave. Do you know what every one of the occupations of the men that were with him were before this? Yeah. They were slaves. Not only were they just slaves, but these were men who had undergone some of the most harsh conditions physically. That up until the time that they were birthed as a nation and released out of Egypt, Pharaoh put such strict burdens on them that no doubt there were many that were stragglers. There were many that were weary. There were many that were tired. Why? Because their backs had been broken in hard labor in the defiance of pharaoh these were not soldiers these were slaves so much so that if you remember pharaoh did not even want as he saw the the israelites begin to populate and to begin to grow in number do you remember that pharaoh put them into slavery because he did not want them to rise up and to be a military challenge against egypt these men were slaves they were not soldiers These men, we believe, didn't even have necessary equipment or elements. If anything, they would have had the tools from the trades of making bricks. And yet, they would sharpen their mortars. They would sharpen their sticks. They would sharpen their stones. They would sharpen their plowshares. They would sharpen whatever they had. And they would go down and they would fight. Why? Because Moses said, and Joshua chose them. This battle was much different. Not to stand back and to see God work, but to jump in and to be a part of what God was doing. You see, I want you to think for a moment. I want you to think back to a time when you encountered a tremendous challenge to your faith. Maybe it was a death in the family. Something you didn't foresee happening, it was a surprise. Much like Amalek all of a sudden coming up and surprising you from the back. Maybe you had a death in the family and you were broken. Maybe you lost your job. Maybe a relationship ended. Maybe you got a horrible report back from the doctor. And maybe for you, that's that challenge where where, uh, Amalek sneaks up behind you and hits you in your most vulnerable of positions and I just want you to think for a moment when that challenge presented itself suddenly came swift you were scared let me ask you a question was there somebody that stepped up in your life family member friend Sunday school teacher accountability partner some ram, random dude in the line at walmart someone that stepped up you see here's the thing oftentimes in the great in the great 
challenges to our faith, even though those become challenges on our journey, oftentimes those challenges open up the door for other people to step in and to be a spiritual hero to us. This challenge, no doubt God was going to win. But Moses tapped a man who was trustworthy, who was obedient, who was humble, and grabbed him and enter now in the midst of this challenge a spiritual hero of sorts. You see, guys, God never intended us to be spiritual lone rangers. God never intended for you and I to go on this journey alone. He intended us that are born again to seek out and to be knit together with other believers. He intended us to form one another's. He teaches us to love one another. There are so many one another's in the New Testament. It's reminding us that we're not out there all on our own, that we are to form this knit, to form this family, to form these relationships, to get close together. Why? Because the journey's tough. It's hard. We need help. And oftentimes, guys go through this and they don't want to confide or women don't want to trust or they don't want to open the door and allow other people to come in and help them. But when we do, we find that there is a relationship that is knit, is so incredibly strong. For those of you that look back on those moments in your greatest challenges and you remember your hero, remember how close you felt? How strong that was. Probably even to this day, that bond is so strong. And you know that that person would be here in just a moment, if only a call or a text. You post something on Facebook, they're one of the first ones to comment or message, letting you know that they're praying for you. Our challenges often open doors for new heroes in life. I want you to see this next little part of the battle was that everybody had a part. Everybody, right there, there were different parts, and each one played their part. If you go back to verse 9, Moses said to Joshua, choose out some men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses said to him and fought with Amalek, and Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And so it was when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands became heavy, so they took a stone and put it under him. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side, the other on the other side, and his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. The story, three different roles. There's one battle, but everybody played a significant, essential role in this fight. The first was Joshua. His is the one that we would most generally think of in the middle of a fight. The one who was actually down there swinging the sword and and, and fighting and battling. That's what we think of when we think of spiritual warfare. The one down in the valley that's cutting and stabbing and, and overcoming the enemy with force. And no doubt... God used Joshua and his sword in a mighty way. But the Bible makes it clear that it wouldn't have mattered how good Joshua was at battle. It wouldn't have mattered 
how many people he had killed because the Bible introduces something really peculiar. Moses says he's going to go stand on the top of the mountain with the rod of God in his hand. That rod, guys, was huge. Not so much in the size. God made it look like a snake, so it couldn't have been all that big, but it was huge to God's people. You see, it was that rod that God used to bring about the plagues that ultimately broke Pharaoh to let his people out. It was that rod that God told Moses to put down on the Red Sea. It was that rod that just before this, Moses struck the rock and out of the rock came water. You see, that rod represented the power and the presence of God. Moses says, I'm going up there and God is going with me and I am holding this rod of God's provision in my hand. And I know we all have great imaginations. Can you picture that scene in your mind? This huge battle going on down at the base of this mountain in this valley. And atop the valley stands Moses with the rod of God in his hands. And his hands raised up. What was Moses doing up there? I'll tell you that what he was doing up there was incredibly significant to the victory of his people. No doubt it's understood that Moses would have been up there praying to God, interceding for the people. That God would give them victory. That God would bless every blow of the sword of Joshua and his men. That God would turn that army of slaves into an army of warriors to defeat the Amalekites. No doubt Moses was praying. And oftentimes they would pray with hands raised. No doubt they could pray with their hands not raised. So I have to believe that him having his hands up was something more significant, maybe pointing toward God, reminding the people that this is God's battle. God will fight with us. God will bless our efforts. But here he was in this highly visible spot with the provision, this reminder that God provides in his hands, and they were raised up. But even as the battle grew on, Moses' arms got tired. And they realized rather quickly as they would watch it and they would see the Israelites begin to take ground and to defeat the Amalekites when the hands were raised, Moses could notice that when his hands began to drop because they were tired, his people would begin to lose ground. Moses would again raise his hands, muster up as much strength as he could to raise his hands once again, only to see the Israelites begin to take ground on Amalekites. And then you would see him begin to groan and, and muscle, and his arms begin to shake because they were getting so tired. And as they would drop, you know that they would fall back again. And Moses would say something to Aaron, his brother, and turn over to her, which we believe to be his brother-in-law, and say, hold my arms. And as they set him down on a rock, and held his arms. That was all she wrote for the Amalekites. Can you imagine with me for just one moment? Take all of the spiritual significance out for just a second. And look at this strictly from a humanistic standpoint. If you're down there fighting and you see Moses 
with the rod of God in his hand. You see him holding that up. Sign of victory. You're excited. And as you begin to see him drop, you're probably becoming concerned. But what would that do for you to watch Aaron come on one side and pick up Moses' arm and hold it up under his, up on his shoulders? Or maybe, maybe he even held it up like this. I don't know. If you're down there fighting and you see men coming alongside Moses and holding his arms up, that is going to ignite you into a fighting frenzy because you are going to see that you are not alone, that there are other people making sacrifices. Moses was praying. Joshua was fighting. And Aaron and her played a tremendously significant role and coming along and supporting and steadying the hands which they believe to be necessary for victory and holding them up for the one who could not. It took everybody. Friends, let me tell you something. As a church, it takes everybody. You've heard that old statistic. 20% of the people do 80% of the work. The truth is, we don't know what the percentage is. Probably because none of us would answer the survey honestly. (laughs) None of us know what the real percentage is. This is the reason why. Because I have no idea who's working and who's not. I can tell you how many teachers we have. I can tell you how many volunteers we have in our children's ministry. I can tell you the number of heads that I see out on the field. But I can't tell you how many people are doing just as an important work, just as important, kneeling in their prayer closets, praying. I can't tell you the people that are working behind the scenes, that are kneeling down. Do you know what, guys? Our attendance in Sunday morning has dropped. Our Sunday morning attendance has dropped. Not by much, but a little. Because those that come in and count the number of heads in here always miss some. At least one every week. Because there is a small group, sometimes it's a group of one, that slides out of service, goes, finds a little quiet spot, and spends the time of the entire morning worship praying. I don't know who does everything. I don't know what that percentage is. But what I do know is that there's a spot and a place for everybody. Maybe yours is not down in the field. Maybe yours isn't down in the valley fighting necessarily in that sense. Maybe you can't. Maybe yours is bending your knee in regular, deep, sincere prayer. Maybe yours is up standing on the mountaintop as an encouraging 
reminding the people that God is there. That God is fighting that battle. Moses prayed. Joshua fought. And Aaron and Hur supported. The third and final thing is this. There was a victory. If you think for a moment, every time Israel would fight Amalek, they would win. You're wrong. In the book of Numbers, it tells us that this group of people had sent out spies, of which Joshua was one of them. And they spied out the promised land, and they came back, the twelve spies, with a report to the people. Ten of the people that were spies came back and said that all of our enemies live there. There are giants in the land and fortified cities we cannot enter. There were two men, a man named Caleb and a man named Joshua that we hear of right here. They came back and they were absolutely confident that it was not the size of the fortified cities. It was not the size of the men that lived in there. It was not the size of their spears that mattered. It was the size of God. And Caleb and Joshua were certain that God would give them that land because he said so. And they encouraged the people to move forward. But the people were mourning and weeping and crying and bemoaning because of the message of the ten that said, no, we can't. It's too tough. So God tells them that they will wander in the desert until that entire generation is dead, barring Caleb and Joshua. They will be allowed to go into the land of promise. But God would not allow that generation, but would allow their children to enter in to keep His Word. The people in Numbers chapter 14, upon hearing that they are now going to have to wander in this desert until the last one's dead, before they will be able to go in and inherit the promised land, they're really sorry. They turn to God and they say, oh, we're sorry that we didn't go in, that we didn't believe you, and they hatch a plan. We're going to go up and we're going to fight and we're going to take it. I know we said we couldn't do it, but now we know the consequences, so we're going to go in there and we're going to take the promised land. And you know what? Moses said, it's not going to work. This is my version. It's not going to work. God is not with you. Oh, we'll do it. We'll take care of it. So this army of men goes up to the mountain to take the promised land and they are defeated bitterly by the Canaanites and the Amalekites. They're actually not just defeated. They are utterly defeated, it seems, and pushed back to even lose ground. You see, just because we always face a new challenge does not mean that we're always going to win. God's people were in the will of God. They were trusting. They were believing. God was merciful when it came time for them to apply their lesson of faith and trust. They failed. And there were consequences, as I told you last time. The lessons of discipleship are learned at our expense, not God's. We, our salvation was our expense. The lessons of discipleship. We learn those lessons at our expense. If I do not learn that lesson, I am the one that suffers just because we face a battle does not mean that we are always going to be victorious we must apply the principles learned to trust god and to walk in obedience to his word the praise was given to god then the lord said to moses write for this a memorial in the book and recounted in the hearing of joshua that i will utterly blot out the remembrance of amalek from under heaven moses built an altar and called its name, The Lord is My Banner. Everybody played a part, but it wouldn't have been possible 
without God. Let me tell you something, guys, as we close this out. I tell you that there are people around and that the challenges in your life give a great opportunity for other people to be able to come in and to be a hero to you. To be a hero for you. Not that the praise will be robbed from God and given to them, but that you would praise God and thank God for them. That God could bring in someone with a certain strength, a certain heart, certain gifts, to be able to minister to you in a time of your greatest need. It's not an absence of God. It is actually participation with God. But let me tell you something awesome about this story. Is that even if you're in a battle and you feel like no one is around, maybe you've never opened the door to let anybody know. You know the good news? We have a perfect picture of Moses and Joshua in Jesus Christ. You could call him Moshua if you want. He is the perfect picture of Moses and Joshua. And that Jesus Christ is the one who went down into the valley to fight our battle. He is the one who declared war on sin. And he defeated it. But he is also the one who sits at the right hand of the Father and ever lives to make intercession for us, who never slumbers nor sleeps, who never has to worry about weary hands and tired arms, who never has to be uh, concerned about lifting his hands so long because he is omnipotent in his dealings. We serve a God that is both in the battle with us, but is also on the mountaintop praying and making intercession for his people. Today, today is an opportunity. Today, I have done the best I, I, I can that I know of to be able to tell you that God cares about you. God has people in this place that he wants to be able to allow to be a hero to you. I don't know what you're going through. I know oftentimes around Christmas, we put on a happy face and we say Merry Christmas, but sometimes in our heart, we don't feel it. I know sometimes we can look good up here, but really right in here we're broken. We're hurting. Maybe there are certain uncertainties that have gripped you. Challenges that have come upon you that you haven't shared with anybody. And you, you want to know that someone cares. First, let me tell you, God cares. Nobody knows your situation better than Him. Nobody stands more ready and willing to walk with you and to teach you the lessons and to undergird you and equip you with what you need than Jesus Christ Himself. The Bible tells us, if you've never trusted Christ, that He defeated sin and death for you. For you and for me. And if you have never began that, begun that relationship with Jesus Christ, would you do so today? The Bible tells us to, to seek out the Lord while He may be found and call upon Him while He is near. What does that mean? Does that mean that God comes and goes? No. You see, there are certain seasons in our life where we are more open and receptive. Sometimes there are, more, there are seasons where we are more sensitive to the call of God on our life. Most of the time, it's when the challenges arise. And right now, I believe that God has a season in, in some of your lives. He's calling out to you. He's right there, and He wants you to be able to receive that free gift of salvation. 
He defeated the enemy for you. He defeated the enemy for you.